Yeah, I'm retiring in September at 30 years old. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Before we kick things off too far, let's check in with co-host Cody. What's going on, man? What's up, Justin? I am tearing up the slopes over in Lake Tahoe. There's this cool thing that the conference we always talk about, FinCon. They did this little retreat called SkiCon. It was about 35 FinConers that went, and I'm hanging out here in the lodge. How about you, man? Well, that definitely sounds like an awesome time. I'm in a little bit warmer weather spot, so I'm actually down in Dallas. If you follow me on Twitter, Instagram, you might have saw some posts about me going to California, which was all part of a ruse because I was tricking my buddy. We came down here and surprised him for his 30th birthday, and so we're now down here just hanging out in Dallas. But enough about us. Let's pause for a second for a quick word from our sponsors. Have you ever told yourself, this is the year that I'm going to save a bunch of money and somehow that year is over and you have not saved even close to as much money as you'd wanted? What if this whole process could be automated? Our partner, Empower, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R, has created an awesome mobile app that makes it super easy to automate your savings. Whether it's saving up for your next vacation or saving up for your next rental property or saving up for that concert next summer, this autosave feature can help you get there. Just set your weekly savings target and let Empower do the rest of the work. That's right, Cody. And don't forget about the other awesome feature of Empower where you can send simple text messages to Empower's human coaches and get personalized recommendations in return. So if you have a savings goal this year, you've got to check out the Empower app. Download Empower, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R, in the App Store or Play Store. I did and over 650,000 other people have too. And as a special bonus to our listeners, you can get $5 if you use the offer code FISHOW as well as meet your savings goal. So visit empower.me slash Fi Show for more details. So today on the Fi Show, we have a purple life and her story is super inspiring and she does something that I don't see nearly enough people doing and this is job hopping to increase your salary. That's one of the main points she focuses on and it really helped her 3x her income in only a matter of years. She also talks about traveling the world, 10xing her net worth over six years, living frugally and how she's actually going to be retiring this year at age 30. But I don't want to take away all her thunder. Take it away, Purple. My partner actually introduced me to the idea of financial independence. And then I ignored him for two years. So it was kind of a multi-stage process of realizing <laughs> that I should figure out my finances. But that real aha moment was I kept telling myself, oh, no, I just haven't found the right job. I need my dream job. I have this list that I want to check everything off. And when I get that job, it'll be fine. Like I'm already saving a little bit of money. I think I was saving mm, maybe 10% of my salary even while living in Manhattan and not making that much. So I was like, I'm good. My mom retired at 55. I am totally on track for that. Why do I need to do more? But then I got that dream job and I was like, I still don't want to do this for another 30 plus years. (laughs) So I buckled down. We moved to Seattle. That cut my expenses in half. I job hopped and I doubled my salary almost. And here we are. And I know that you know you and your mom are close. I see getting her into travel hacking and you got some big trips planned. And if she retired at 55, it sounds like she had her things kind of in order. So what was it like growing up? Like what were some of the things you got to take away from like the way you were raised that kind of helped lead to this path to financial independence? 
Well, she originally was raising me as a single mom. So I always knew that we weren't necessarily affluent. We were just living on her salary and she was working all the time. So then she married my stepdad when I was about eight. And I was like, oh, we're not in an apartment anymore. We're in a house. We must be doing well. (laughs) What's going on here? I started getting paid for chores, but then it was $1 per chore. And when I went to collect, she gave me 70 cents. And I was like, what What the hat? What happened? <laughs> Where's the rest of it? She's like, oh, taxes and social security are a thing. I'm like, what are those? <laughs> As this 10-year-old kid or so. So that was interesting. I was always fascinated when I'd see her like writing checks for bills. I ended up doing that for her when I was about 11 because I just found it fun. When my aunt and uncle would ask me what gifts I want when they were living abroad, I was like, can you bring me some of that different looking currency? That's so cool. And they're like, this is a weird kid. So (laughs) growing up, money was always open and talked about. And that was really great. And then on the spending side, she was always very frugal in almost everything. She got older. She did start to discover that she really liked luxury vacations. But otherwise... She doesn't buy jewelry or fancy clothes or shoes. We do buy more quality shoes because I walk a lot. So 70 bucks is fine to drop or whatever, but I'm not out there looking for, I don't know, $400 heels just to look (laughs) real good. So those are the kind of lessons that she instilled in me. And then you mentioned she must have had her stuff together because she retired at 55. She actually didn't invest a dime until she was 30. And she had no idea about investing. She had went through multiple investment advisors, a couple of which lost big chunks of change in downturns throughout the years. She never felt comfortable doing it herself. She never really dove into it and read all about investing so that she could DIY. So she might even be considered kind of a, quote, late starter, but she still was able to ramp it up and get it done. And so did those money lessons that she taught you, or at least the things that you internalized a little bit, did those continue through high school and college or do you ever fall off the rails a little bit? Oh, I definitely fell off the rails (laughs) (laughs) for sure. In high school and college, I was fairly frugal because I had to be, I did have a receptionist job in high school, which helped me pay for hanging out with my friends or whatever. But in college, my mom actually kind of forbid me from having a job. She wanted me to completely focus on my studies, which is fair. So I she gave me a little like stipend. She was like, here, so you can go out with your friends for pizza since you're not working. And I saved like 99% of it. She's like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? (laughs) I was like, well, I don't have any income. So I just, I'm saving this. It's like a little mini emergency fund. (laughs) You don't know what's going to happen. So that was college. And then after I graduated and I moved to Manhattan, I completely got brainwashed by the high flying lifestyle, even though I was not making a lot of money. So I was on my second job and I was making, I think it was 48K, living in a tiny, crappy little apartment. But I was like, you know, it'll make me feel better. A purse subscription. I don't even care about purses. Why would I do that? Uh, you know what made me feel better? Buying those like really, not really expensive, but expensive heels. I can't even walk in heels. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like, I have to be this Manhattan woman that I see in Sex in the City. And it was completely ridiculous. Maybe, I don't know. It might have been because my living situation was so crappy. I was like trying to escape. The other example I remember is I took the week of Thanksgiving off and I wanted to go see my friend in New Mexico. And I was like, you know what? I should just also stop by Chicago. And you know what I should also do? Buy business class for all of these flights. Why? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I've definitely gone off the rails. And I do still fly business class or first, but now it's travel hacked. 
and it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> so just to kind of help people who are listening and following along to your story, you know, really put together the puzzle. Can you tell us like, what was your major in college? What year did you graduate? What kind of profession did you go into when you did this move to Manhattan? Sure. I went to a pretty standard liberal arts college. I graduated. I think my technical major was called like American studies. I don't even know what that is. Basically, they seem to think it's anything that ever happened in America. I was like, sweet. So like sociology classes and film classes and English classes and whatever I want. (laughs) So that's what I did. They didn't have like really specialized majors, though I tried to create a film major and I got rejected. But anyway, from there, I decided that I wanted to go into advertising specifically because I didn't want kind of the stuffy corporate America that my mom had told me about that she came up in in her career. And so I was like, okay, what what industry lets me wear jeans? Like what's <laughs> what's a little more creative than stuffy corporate America? And I kept hearing about marketing and specifically ad agencies from the alums at my school that I was reaching out to trying to figure out if I could find a job because I graduated in 2011 And I heard from people uh, one or two years prior when I was a junior or sophomore that they were having a really hard time finding a job because there was still lingering things from the Great Recession. So I was reaching out to everyone and they're like, it sounds like what you want is like an ad agency. It's chill. You guys can have parties like everyone's cool and creative and wild. You can have purple hair. And I was like, done. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I went into. I actually emailed a alum that was the CEO of the first ad agency I ever worked at. That's how I got an internship and then a job there. Okay, but so Purple, I know this wasn't your long-term plan and something you do talk about looking at your site and reading a good amount of your articles is job hopping and actually using those job hops to get massive bumps in salary. So you're not just getting those, you know, 3% raises year over year. Could you talk about that and maybe weave in your journey? How did that work into your life? Sure. My first job, like I mentioned, got it from emailing an alum and I was making 35K there. It was actually pretty fortuitous because it was quite a toxic environment. And I didn't know that since it was my first job. I just thought, oh, this is work and work sucks. But after about a year, I was so fed up. I'd like stopped eating basically. I'd lost 30 pounds from it, obviously not in a healthy way. I was just like, this is bad. And my partner was like, you need to quit. I was like, I don't have any skills. This is my first job. I don't have much saved. I think I had $5,000 in my checking account or something. It's like, I can't just quit my first job ever. He's like, this is taking a toll on your health. Like you need to quit. So I did quit without anything lined up. And that was probably the wildest thing I've ever done. But at the same time, I had been interviewing I just hadn't gotten anything back. But that first Monday after my two weeks notice was over, I got a call when I was on the treadmill that Monday morning and they're like, we're going to offer you a job. It's a promotion and it's 48K. Okay, (laughs) let's do (laughs) that. (laughs) Right. And I'd been fighting with my previous company about a promotion. It was a whole thing. And I was like, oh, I just convinced a stranger over a one hour interview to give me more dollars and more responsibility. It's absolutely ridiculous. So it kind of like unlocked in my mind. This seems to be the better path if people I know that watch me doing a great job every day don't want to give me more money and more responsibility. That might not be the way to go. So that was that. And then I just kept doing that. I usually had some impetus for me moving. The second job actually got laid off, which is very common in ad agencies. Churn is huge there. Like if you stay two years, people are like, why are you still here? So then that job hop, I asked for 65 and I got that. And then I was actually planning to quit that job after a year because more toxicity, a wild client. 
But instead, I actually asked my boss, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to work on this client anymore. What do we do about that? <laughs> and I'd never been that bold before. And she was like, oh, we can move you. I was like, we can move me? So I basically changed jobs, but was in the same company. And that was the dream job that ticked all the boxes. I was basically creating a mini ad agency within the company. So it was just me and this other woman doing our own thing. No clients, no hours and hours of conference calls, no late night emails, fire drills. It was awesome. But then I was still like, eh, I still don't want to get on that subway every morning. <laughs> I don't want to keep doing this. And with that move, I started making 68. And that's when I decided to go for fire. And we thought, oh, I need to move somewhere to cut our cost of living, but still have the same standard, if not a better standard of living. We created a spreadsheet. We decided on Seattle. One of the reasons was because I discovered you can make Manhattan salaries in Seattle, but the cost of living is about half. So I got a job over Skype, of all things, and I got 85 at that place, got laid off again a year later. And then I got to my current company, started making 103. I've been there three years. So the next year I made 106 and this year 110. And here I am. <laughs> wow. Just like that. So simple. So one thing that you called out in there along those string of events and those job hops was that, and then I decided to go after fire. So I'd like for us to dig into that a little bit, because I know you said earlier in the episode that you and your partner had talked about it and you kind of like kicked that down the road for like about two years. Like you didn't, you didn't take it right away. So can you just walk us through what that was like when you were first presented with it, how you kind of came around to it and you know, like what you got you really motivated to go after fire? So he first introduced me to the idea in 2013. And if you guys remember the landscape back then, it was pretty stereotypical. It was like Mr. Money Mustache, Mad Scientist. It was all these white male programmers. I'm going to get a face punch for spending money and like wrecking the environment. And I think it was that there were so few voices out there. I was like, this isn't for me. I, I'm not going to fit into this community. I like spending money on things. And you're telling me that I need to like, once again, I think it was the wrong intro, deprive myself. No, that's not the case. But that's what it seemed like. And so I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up my life now for later. I want to live great now and later. And that's what I thought my retire by 55, like my mom plan was. But then those two years of thinking about it, getting that dream job, realizing I didn't want to keep doing it. And I was like, maybe I should take this more seriously. Maybe I should read more than like two Mr. Money Mustache articles. <laughs> so I read all of them, realized I had the complete wrong idea, let my partner gloat about it for a very long time, and then went for it. And that was also the exact same time that I started my own blog. So I was like, maybe there's room for me to be like, hey, guys. There's someone else a little different out here. Here's an example. And I went for it. Awesome. So on a more tactical level, could you talk about the spending changes you started to make or the lifestyle changes you started to make when you started to really internalize this concept? So the big changes I made in my life actually weren't difficult because the biggest thing was moving from Manhattan to Seattle, which cut our rent in half. It also saves me, I believe it's at least $10,000 a year in taxes. And those were the big things. But then also, I taught myself to cook. I'd never cooked before. I ate out for basically every meal in Manhattan, which can be cheap. But I was also being like, oh, restaurant week, that's going to be like $400 this week, right? Perfect. Let's do it. Like getting those 15 to $20 cocktails, all that stuff. So I started examining if there was anything I could cut after those major items of rent and taxes. 
And after teaching myself to cook and then also going keto, I actually prefer having like dinner parties instead of going out to eat. So I still go out to eat, but just a lot less. In Manhattan, I would be spending between 250 and and $1,000 a month just on like food. <laughs> but now it's way less than that. It's been about 125 a month on groceries, like 50 bucks on alcohol, including parties, and then about 50 bucks on eating out. So that was kind of big. And then also my cell phone. I used to have a iPhone. I paid 90 bucks a month for it. And then I switched to Republic Wireless, 15 bucks a month, exact same service. I'm an Android girl now. <laughs> <laughs> and when you start making this transition to actually paying attention to financial independence and thinking about fire, it seems like maybe it started with a little bit more of an angle of not super happy with this job or don't know that I love it enough to work for 30 years. Did it ever go from the main focus being this is a path for me to stop working into a this is a path for me to do X, Y and Z, like something bigger, different outside of work? Yes. So the current job I have is actually pretty sweet. I work from home. I'm technically on a PTO day right now. What? (laughs) (laughs) I work from home. This is my uniform. For those that can't see me, I'm in pajamas. And it's completely chill. I like my boss. He leaves me alone, which is great. The opposite of a micromanager, but he's there if I need help. I have a diverse set of clients and work that I do. It's closest I've gotten, even after the dream job. Like this is actually interesting. And the fact that I don't have to commute every day and deal with people, (laughs) I'm such an introvert, is wonderful. So if I wasn't going for fire, I don't think this is a bad life at all. This is great. This is wonderful. But in reflecting on what I really want, which took a while, that took many months when I was trying to analyze my spending and think, oh, what am I going to retire to? I realized that a job or any job that I can see myself having with my skills doesn't fit the life I want. And the life I want is to not be beholden to a client or a schedule or anything. I want to basically be Cody and go to South America for, <laughs> for a long time without having to worry about anything. I don't want to have to get PTO approval. I don't want to only have two or three weeks of vacation. So that's the kind of life I want. And a traditional job doesn't really fit in with that. So this is kind of going off the rails a little bit, not going off the rails, but it's just something I want to dive into because you're someone who like you're working from home in your pajamas right now. Could you talk about like finding motivation when you don't have a micromanager, you don't have someone telling you exactly what to do? It sounds like in the type of role you're in, you're mostly making 99% of the decisions and trying to like make that client happy. And so you could slack off realistically and work two hours a day. Yeah, your boss would probably find out over a reasonable period of time. But there are there any tips, tricks, hacks that you do to self-motivate when you don't have the hustle and bustle of the office, you don't have someone breathing down your neck, and you're just sitting at home in your pajamas, maybe on your couch or in your desk office, whatever it might be? Well, I think analyzing if you are a good candidate for working from home is really important. I am actually a lot more productive at home because I find the usual open office glass wall environment extremely distracting. When I was in an office, I would always have like my headphones in. I'd always be trying to find an office that I could work in or a conference room because otherwise I couldn't concentrate on the really important stuff I was trying to do. Some people love going into an office because that energy gives them like motivation. But for me, it was actually the opposite. So I love that I can get up in the morning. I can focus on creating whatever strategy I'm making for my client and just bang it out. And then I'm done. And then if I have to go into the office for a meeting, I know I'm basically there for a social call and I can like separate that out. 
So I think doing that's really important. And also I'm a serious type A perfectionist. So I can't let myself slack off. I think I'd like die. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it. So yeah, you're probably totally right. But there's a lot of trust involved in a company letting their workers go remote. We are quite strict with who we hire and who we keep. We have a pretty long probationary period. So if someone seems like they are slacking off, they're out of there. So yeah, make sure that you're the type of person where working from home is a good idea (laughs) before you do it. A topic like that where some people may, you know, perform better actually going into the office versus not, like you said, you know, maybe want to check. You might want to kind of experiment on it and see if that is something that works for your style. And on that same kind of thread, I know that you're looking at making some big changes when you retire, like selling everything, like moving into an Airbnb for a month and kind of not having a traditional home for a while. Did you experiment some of those things or can you talk about that? Like, how's that transition going to be from going from having this job every day to all of a sudden not? Like, have you done experimentation to see whether or not this idea that you have for retirement is actually going to be the thing that fits you best? I've only done many experiments. And I lived in Italy for six months out of a little bag. That was my first time. I'd be like, let's just go somewhere. Let's be somewhere and see what this is like. I mostly loved it, but I actually didn't love that I had to start over. I didn't know anyone. I barely knew the language and no one in my tiny town spoke English and it was really difficult. So I think being able to bring my partner along, which is the plan, or travel with my mom, which is the other plan, going to help with that a lot. I actually don't know if I'll be able to live out of a backpack and I'm totally fine switching my plans. Like I think it was a mad scientist. He thought he was going to be a nomad and then he settled down in Edinburgh. Like maybe that'll be me. But just want to try it out and see what's up. I also don't really love stuff. <laughs> like, I don't think, <laughs> I think it would be weird to live it out of a backpack. But I also think it would be cool, especially to try out for a couple of years or a couple of months if I can't survive for some reason. But yeah, I'm just trying it out. We'll see what happens. And I also definitely don't want to pay to move my stuff across the country again. So regardless, I'd be getting rid of all of it. It's just if I'll replace it or not. And I know we haven't exactly talked about this yet, but you are retiring at what I'd call a headline age. So could you just give us the timeline on that real quick? Yeah, I'm retiring in September at 30 years old. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Let's see what happens. And I think if people were listening to this episode, you started off with a salary that a lot of people could relate to in a city more expensive than honestly most people can relate to. And you still live in a city that most people would think is more expensive than where they live. And yes, now you make six figures, but you know, it's, it's taking you a little time to ramp up to that. And you know, people today, if they have a job, especially like a tech sector, something like that, it's not a salary that's completely unattainable, but I think to almost everyone retiring at 30 seems unattainable. Can you talk about like that growth of like your, your nest egg and kind of how that looked? Because I think people look at it from the outside and they're thinking, you know, there's no way this can happen because they've just never seen compounding interest really take over because they never got that nest egg started. I'm completely with you. It is ridiculous. But (laughs) (laughs) there are a few caveats to why this is possible for me. Preferences that I have for my life that make my spending a lot lower than normal and lower in a projection of the future. So I'm not having kids. I'm not getting married. I don't want to own a house. It seems like a hassle to me. It seems like a chain around my leg. I have never and do not plan on owning a car. 
I prefer to get around on foot, public transit, Uber. I rent cars if I want to go camping and stuff like that or from in a more rural area. And that's totally worked out for the last almost decade of my life. So all those really allow me to keep my spending low. I spend about $18,000 a year right now, and I'm projecting $20,000 in retirement to give a little buffer there. So that's one reason. And then to actually go through the numbers, when I got out of school, I had about $5,000 saved just from like that stipend from my mom and from my receptionist job in high school. And then the next year, I had started putting a little bit of money in my 401k in a bad fund, but oh gosh, <laughs> at least it was a fund. And I that had just started compounding. And so when I looked at it, it was $20,000. I'm like, where'd that come from? Okay, cool. Just go about my business. Next year... I had about $30,000. Next year was 2014, $53,000. 2015, when I started getting serious, $89,000. 2016, $137,000. 2017, $234,000. 2018, $280,000. I ended 2019 with $448,000. And as of yesterday when we're recording this, I'm at 466,000. Wow. (laughs) It's going exponential. (laughs) That is the power of compound interest if I've ever seen it. (laughs) Seriously, it is wild. I kind of want to shift gears quickly. Something that you talked about before that I would be remiss to ask you about. So you said you're a type A perfectionist and I would totally classify myself in that same category. But you also, a post you have that's interesting on your site and something I wanted to talk about was why you're an unproductivity advocate and you're someone who's retiring at 30 and then you're just going to go do quote unquote unproductive stuff. You're just going to, you know, hang out. How do those two things jive and why are you an advocate of unproductivity? (laughs) Because I think our world puts productivity on a pedestal. And I think we should think about what is productive or it's more like that busyness, like, oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time. Can Do you have time in a month to hang out? Like, oh, I was working from 6 a.m. to midnight today, and I'm so amazing, obviously, because I'm so busy. And I just think that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> so, yes, I am type A. I was extremely serious about my studies throughout high school and college. I'm very serious about my job. I want to do one the best job I can, basically. But I also recognize that that takes a serious toll on my energy. Like I mentioned, I'm a serious introvert. I require a lot of downtime to function, especially in this client service facing role. So I am an unproductivity advocate because I want people to recognize it's okay to sit on a couch and read a book for eight hours, as I often do. I did that yesterday and it was glorious. (laughs) (laughs) Or stay in bed and just like hang out for a little bit, take a nap. All of these things, they're like, oh, that's so unproductive. That's bad. What are you doing? You're you're lazy. You're a slug. No, sometimes that's what you need and that's totally fine. And then after retirement, I do want to do a lot more of that kind of slug life because- Slug I'm life. Really, it's like <laughs> life. Hashtag slug life. Because I'm- like really tired from, (laughs) even though I work from home in my pajamas, like giving it my all all the time, being on, even if it's just my voice and having done this for almost a decade, like I'm ready to sit on a beach for quite a while. So I think a lot of people, you know, who are kind of looking on the outside of this community and they, that's what they think about. They think honestly that everybody's looking to live kind of this slug life and not (laughs) do anything. And they always think, you know, well, you're going to get so bored of that. I mean, 
I don't know. Have you thought about that? Especially like you said, you have this type A personality. Yes, you mix in some of these days where you don't do anything and you're just like watching Netflix or whatever. But I don't think you've had any time where you're doing that for 60, 70 percent of your week, week after week after week. Like, do you think that's sustainable? And or do you have any other things that you imagine you'll fill in the time with? So I originally thought that was completely sustainable because my mom's been retired for five years and that's what she's done. She has worked in a little bit of fitness into her routine. Like she goes like four miles walking every other day. She joined a little walking meetup. But otherwise, she cooks, she cleans, she plans our vacation, and then she watches TV. Like she's chilling. <laughs> and she seems totally fulfilled by that. So I was like, oh, okay, so this this will probably work. But then I have my blog, which has been up for five years, or I've been writing it for five years now. That takes up a little bit of my time. Also, we've been planning and booking my first retirement travel, and that's taken up a surprising amount of time, all that coordination. And then actually doing that travel, being fully present during it. I want to do a lot of research before I go to different countries. I also want to learn the languages as much as I possibly can. Looking at my to-do list, I'm like, okay, so I might have some stuff to do in retirement that won't just be laying face down on the floor. (laughs) and just seeing the world like that takes a lot of time not just the coordination of it so that's what i'm thinking i'll fill my time with but we'll see maybe i'll i don't know write a music album in three years i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) so something you've been talking about in that last bit there was travel and i know you love travel you're a huge fan of travel rewards you've saved probably like a hundred thousand dollars at this point over the year, yeah, years of travel hacking. Maybe we just talk about some of your best trips. And if you have any unconventional tips, we have had some episodes where we focused on travel hacking a bit. But if you have any awesome tips for people who want to get started with this, who just want to travel more cheaply to more cool places, lay it on us. All right. So my best hack to date was with the Etihad First Class Apartments, which you recently booked for savings of about $16,000. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know if you could call it savings because I'd never pay that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm super excited. That's for two 15-hour flights, one from Sydney to Abu Dhabi and one from Abu Dhabi to JFK. So we're going to be living it up for like a day and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be sweet. But my major tip would be if you want the best bang for your buck with travel rewards is to use them for business or first-class international travel because that really is where you can get amazing experiences for a fraction of the cost. Um, I do use reward points for domestic travel, but it's more rare because a lot of the time it makes more sense to buy it in cash when I compare the redemption amount. But I think really just think about what you want. If you just want to lower your travel costs in general, go after that. But if you want to have some baller experiences, <laughs> do you <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask about that's another one of these kind of tactical questions is you're looking to retire this year. And I know you said you're looking to live off around $20,000 a year. And so you're going to have this nest egg of somewhere around 500000 But, you know, a lot of people would say, but we're at this giant cusp the market just returned 28% and 500,000 seems like a little bit more on the lean side of things. Do you have any reservations or fears about, you know, what could be coming around the corner when you're looking at a retirement where your numbers are a little on the leaner side? I don't personally have any reservations, but that's because of all the flexibility that I mentioned that I have in my budget. 
and the fact that travel is built in. So geo arbitrage is already part of my plan. And then I've run the numbers in every retirement calculator I can get my hands on. So the parameters I have is yes, $500,000. I also have a hundred percent stock portfolio. So that does help in the making sure it has some longevity. But if I'm able to decrease my spending just a couple thousand dollars, I think the floor would be 16,500 while I'm living on a beach in Mexico for a little bit. And then at the same time, I didn't give myself a spending ceiling. So on up years with the stock market, I can spend more than 20,000 if I want to. Using those parameters and putting them in, I actually would survive any of the last 100, and I think it was 47 years, including the Great Depression. So for that reason, I'm actually not worried. And that's because of how flexible my lifestyle is. Awesome. Flexibility is definitely key. Do you have any money-making type ventures that you were looking into that might be a little fun thing on the side that you could do a couple hours a week once you retire? (sighs) I wasn't, but you guys have brainwashed me. So because of Cody's course, I actually monetized my blog in July and I'm still in the red, but it's looking like I might at least recoup my costs this year. So if you can call that a money-making venture, that's one. That's awesome. And then I did make a couple hundred dollars off of just using apps this year, not even doing anything like linking my credit card and getting points here and there, job spotting, whatever. So that was one. I did a freelance writing assignment this year, but I don't think I'll do that in retirement. But yeah, you guys and your enthusiasm. Oh, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) So I know that it's definitely not like a cornerstone of your journey or anything, but you just mentioned a little side thing that you do to make some money that I don't think that we've covered really on the show, which was job spotting. Can you tell us like, what is job spotting? How much effort does that take? Because I'm sure some people are hearing that and have no idea what you're talking about. Of course. JobSpotter is an app by Indeed.com, and they basically pay you to take pictures of hiring signs. It used to be pretty lucrative, but I have been telling literally everyone about it for like six months, and it's become less so. (laughs) That might be linked. But it is just fun. So like I said, I love walking. So I walk around the city anyway. And if I notice someone says, now hiring sign at Chipotle or whatever, I take out my phone, I take a picture of it, I send it to Indeed in their app. Takes what? two seconds and I keep walking. And then by the time I'm at my next block, they deposit some money in my account. They pay through Amazon gift cards, which I live in Seattle. So that's basically cash. (laughs) 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 You can get something to my door in like an hour. That's my record so far. And I wasn't even using the like one hour thing. I just bought something on Amazon and it was at my door in an hour. So that's JobSpotter. And it is fun regardless. It is, I used to make, I think it was like 20 or 30 bucks a month. And then, well, two things happened. It got cold and dark, so I went outside less. (laughs) But then also, it seems like their algorithm updated, so you can make less money. But the highest I've ever heard was Michelle from Frugality and Freedom. She made 80 bucks in a day. Wow. And when you're filling this out, like you said you just take a picture and submit it, or you don't have to like take and fill out a form or anything? You literally open the app. It already is up on the take a picture page. You take a picture of the actual sign and it doesn't even have to be really in focus. It's perfect. And then you quickly take a picture of the actual storefront and then they already have your geolocation so they know where it is and what it is and you press submit, walk away. 
Easy. Sweet. New side hustle, Fasho listeners. Get on it before they change the algorithm again. <laughs> hey, I mean, it'll, it'll pay for Netflix, you know, one guilty pleasure. Oh, yeah. Like I was in Portland just visiting some five friends and I walked to brunch. It was like a 10 minute walk and I was job spotting along the way. And my way back, I realized I'd made over five bucks. So I got myself some salt and straw. And I was like, paid for with job spotter. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. This is kind of something random, but did you know, I was just doing some research and five years ago, pretty much exactly, you had a post called 10 Years to Financial Independence. And yeah. You cut that in half. That's just insane. That's not where I was going. I was just complimenting you because that's so cool. But so this kind of leads to the idea that this is crazy. Like you did this in five years. It was half the timeline that you projected. What do your friends think? What does your family think? Are they supportive? Do they think you're a psychopath? Do they think this isn't possible? Because I can imagine you probably get some backlash from those types of people. I don't know if I've just always been a weirdo. And so they're like, oh, yeah, of course she is. But I have not experienced any backlash or weirdness. I'm completely open in my real life about my plans with my friends and family, less so with coworkers for obvious reasons. But they've known the whole time. They knew five years ago when I was like, I'm doing this. I'm, we're moving to Seattle. And the sh- they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm retiring. At the time, I thought 35. But it's sped up because that was based on my original salary, which was, what, 65. And my original spending, which was like 35 plus. And then just slowly sped up more and more. So, yeah, everyone's been supportive. Some friends and family do ask me for like investing in finance advice. And I'm like, I'm not your advisor, but here's what I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, besides that, no one's really got on the bandwagon. Some people have started using budgeting software that I recommend or switching to the investment company I recommend. But that's about it. No one's really gone straight for retirement with me. And it might be because they think I'm just saying stuff. And once I actually do it and start living that life, they're like, oh, she was serious. Maybe I should look into this. I definitely, you know, I resonate with your story a ton because we kind of discovered financial independence around the same year. We're kind of tracking the same numbers. We're kind of tracking, you know, similar spending, a lot of different things. So I I definitely get that. And I also get the part of, you know, being open with people around you. I mean, Sometimes I take a little further and I let it, you know, I start giving webinars at work and I don't know how that's going to turn out. But no, I totally get what you're saying. And I think that's a great thing for people listening. If they're going down this path and they feel a little alone about it, to maybe feel open up a little bit and tell some people around them. And you kind of be surprised that as long as you just kind of own it, and you're not weird about it, that I think people will be more supportive maybe than they expect. And which, you know, that support circle kind of leads me back to in a roundabout way to, you know, you said your partner introduced you to this and you're looking to retire this year. Is he on that same kind of schedule? Is he also going to retire? And what are those dynamics going to be like? So he actually enjoys the subject matter of his job. I like the benefits my job has, but the actual work I'm not in love with. So that's a huge difference in us. So he is less in a hurry, basically. He's like, if I can sock away some extra dollars, cool, do it. But I'm not going to try and optimize everything. I'm just going to be really chill. And I actually, I'm also chill about it, but I am, actually, I am a much smaller person. So maybe that is the difference in <laughs> our spending <laughs> because he eats and drinks more than me because he's bigger. That might actually be it because it's not that many thousand more dollars. Anyway, so He is on the path, but he's a little behind me. He's currently taking a sabbatical, actually. So just chilling, taking some time off. And then we'll hop back in and be done in like one to three years. No big deal. 
And we'll see what that dynamic is like. We both have worked from home together for three years now. So we know that we won't drive each other crazy, even though we're both home all the time. <laughs> so that's <laughs> something. But other than that, we'll see what it's like. I have been fun employed while he was working before. And now that he's on sabbatical, this might be a good prequel to what it would be like for one of us to be retired. Awesome. Well, Purple, thank you so much for coming on. And you've been blogging for five years, so I'm sure there are already a lot of people following your journey. You've probably made awesome connections. But if you want to make even more connections and have even more people following your journey, where is the best place for people to find out more about you and contact you? Just go to my website at purplelife.com. You can find me on all the social media there. Email me. Let me know what's up. Awesome. And then Purple, one thing we always ask our guests is for those people who are on their own way to financial independence, what's like one tangible tip you have for them? Don't be afraid to be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Figure out what you want, what you don't want in life and go after it. People will judge you anyway. So just live the life you want. Love it. (laughs) Love it. All right. So the final question of the podcast, nobody's prepared for it. We never prepare for it. Myself, Justin, you Purple. Nobody knows the question, but are you ready? I'm ready. So something you had mentioned is that you became kind of a foodie. You started liking to cook at home. It became like a really integral part of your life. What's one five friendly, so this is going to be nice in the budget and also nice for the belly meal. What's that one awesome favorite meal that you're just pumped when you make it to eat? Sous vide steak. Ooh, sous vide steak. Best steak I ever had in my life was cooked in my own kitchen with no grill. Yeah, so good. I can't go to a steakhouse anymore because I'm like, you want me to pay five times as much for something that's not as good? (laughs) You're wild. (laughs) Well, Purple, thank you so much for taking some time out, coming on to the show. I know you didn't have to get real dressed up for it, but you still took some time out of your day to come on and uh, share your story with us. We're going to be cheering for you. We can't wait to see what life looks like in retirement. And I know you're motivating me and I'm sure a lot of listeners to kind of take that plunge and say, hey, my nest egg's big enough. It's time to walk away and see what else life has to offer. So I just want to, again, really say thank you so much for coming on the show and just giving us some time and telling your story. Thanks for having me. It's always a good episode, Justin, and we have friends on. I know you and I have both interacted with Purple, both in real life and through the Twittersphere for a couple of years now, and having her on and sharing her story is just an awesome and super relatable story to share. What'd you think, man? Definitely love the story. I mean, I know me and you have talked about how I resonate a lot with it because our timelines and our net worth numbers and that sort of thing match up very closely. Uh, The one thing that she did do that I haven't done a ton of is hopping across different jobs. And, you know, being able to leverage offers off of each other and just not staying in one company and making those slow moves. But, you know, when you jump from companies and divisions, you can make these large jumps in salary. Yeah, that's a really good point, Justin. I think people don't give themselves enough credit and enough leverage when they're looking for that new job. They go and apply to a couple of jobs. They get that first one. They just say, yes, that's it. And then they're pumped and they think, I'm so lucky I got this job. There was no way I was ever getting another opportunity. But I know we were chatting recently at your house, actually, and you were telling me how The reason why you got the job you have now is because you actually waited on it. So I'd love if you could talk about that for a little bit to give people a tangible example of how much more leverage you have than you think. Yeah, because that job searching process is like a very emotional one. And when I was leaving the Air Force, you know, I'm looking at it and to make the same amount of money I was making the Air Force, I needed to find a job that was going to pay me around like $110,000 before taxes. And so... I'm going, I'm hunting for these different jobs. I'm doing these different interviews. And I've gotten to a really deep level of an interview with this one company that I was excited about. I get to the final level and the job's going to be at like 90,000. And I'm all excited about it. And I don't get the job. 
and it kind of like crushed me, you know, I'm like, oh, this sucks. Like, I don't know if I would be able to make this in the commercial side. And then, you know, I waited around a little bit and more offers started to pour in and I was like, and I was able to kind of leverage them off of each other and ended up in a position paying $75,000 more a year than the offer that I was so devastated about not getting. And I think something that we're not talking about here is the reason why you have that leverage is because you live frugally and similar to Purple's story, if you have this really cheap baseline and you already have this huge sum of money saved up and say you only need $20,000 a year to survive and you have $100,000 saved up, like that's five years of runway if you literally don't have a job and that's uninvested. So just being someone who can live frugally, who can save up that nest egg gives you so many more options. And I think that was a really recurring theme in Purple's story is that she realized like the more flexibility, the more power. She says as she's been accumulating more money, she's gotten a little more defiant at her job. You know, if she wants to move from one opportunity to the next, she says, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. If you want me, you want me. If not, see ya. And I think that just gives you so much power when you start to internalize the freedom that money can buy you. Yeah, the interesting thing, and you can see it in her story, like you said, about having so much more like freedom and power and kind of stepping up and saying things is I would almost be willing to bet that we could all benefit from having that attitude, even if our finances weren't quite there. Because like being bold and, you know, applying for those jobs that you don't know if you necessarily qualify for. And when you're doing the negotiations, pushing a little further. And when it comes up for your annual performance review, pushing a little further, because, you know, for some people that's easy because they have all this net worth to lean on. But even if you don't, even if you're just like mildly comfortable I would say like push a little beyond what feels comfortable because you'd be surprised at how much is left out there that you're just kind of cutting yourself short on. One more thing that was really striking to me in this episode and that I really resonated with was how she said it's okay to take a break. It's okay to chill out and read a book for eight hours. It's okay to go out drinking with your friends every once in a while. It's okay to watch Netflix because I think so many times in this day and age in this side hustle world, It's like grind, 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 grind through your 20s and 30s and then enjoy the fruits of your labor. Even in the financial independence space, I see this so much. It's like, don't really enjoy that much while you're in your 20s. And I'm like, screw that. Like, I want to enjoy and grind. There's definitely a happy medium to be struck. Obviously, we're not advocating just sitting on your butt and not doing anything at all. But if you grind to the point of exhaustion and the point where you want to give up and you have no motivation, that is super unhealthy. So if you need to take a break every once in a while, like Purple is saying, she is also a type A perfectionist like I am. It's totally okay to take those breaks. Those same habits that we try to break as we go down this financial independence path, whether it's, you know, trying to keep up with your neighbors or just trying to climb the corporate ladder to an unnecessary point, those can re-manifest themselves even in this financial independence space by like pushing yourself into, you know, maybe too many side hustles or once you retire feeling like you've got to do all these crazy different things off this bucket list, like day one, this is, it's just this race against each other and it's a race on Instagram and it's a race wherever it is. And like you said, it's definitely okay to step back. I mean, it's the whole point of it, you know, financial independence is that you have this freedom to do whatever you want. And if what you want to do for part of your time is nothing, like that's okay. And now it's time for the call to action. So today's call to action, and quickly I'm going to preface this with, if you're someone living paycheck to paycheck or you're in bundles of debt, you probably don't want to be job hopping and quitting your job and flexing your power that you have because you know about financial independence. But if you are someone with six months of expenses saved or a year or more, or someone who's like really close to financial independence, start to flex that power muscle a little bit. Something that Justin and I have talked about previously is if you have skills in a certain industry, you have marketing skills. Kind of like Purple, if you repurpose those same marketing skills from, say, some 
old paper mill company to some new tech company, you could literally double or triple your salary overnight without adding any new skills to your repertoire. And there are so many different opportunities depending on your skill set. Obviously, there are some skills that are siloed to a certain job. But if you're in HR, if you're in finance, if you're a medical professional, there's so many different ways where you can kind of just sidestep into a different industry instead of going up and learning a bunch of new skills and multiplying your salary. If you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed interviewing Purple, please go out there, check out the show notes, and you can find those at thefashow.com slash purple. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.